Welcome to another episode of the Info to Grow podcast. I'm Alex Lovedahl, and we've got another good one lined up for you today. I sat down with Dr. Gordon Kaufman, who is our technical manager for our turf team. So we're going to talk a little turf and golf courses today. But, uh, but first, before we get started, there's a few things that I want to talk about, and that's the situation at hand that's impacting everybody. COVID-19 and this virus have affected all of us, and it's no different for us here at Brandt. So we are an essential business since we are in agriculture, and we're taking all measures to make sure that our employees and partners stay safe uh, as we continue to operate our business. We established a COVID-19 response team, and they've done an awesome job of keeping up with the regulation changes and implementing practices and protocols for all of us to follow to make sure that we stay safe here at Brandt. But today's episode is closely related to COVID-19 and the situation at hand. So Dr. Gordon Kaufman and I chatted about what's going on in the turf industry the challenges that golf courses and superintendents are up against, and some strategies that might help. So let's get into it. Here's Dr. Gordon Kaufman. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest, Dr. Gordon Kaufman, technical manager for Brandt in the Turf and Ornamental Division. So first of all, uh, how are you doing? I mean, you staying safe? You holding up okay during this kind of crazy time? Yeah, Alex, great. Thanks for having me. Um, Right now, myself and my family, we're all healthy. So we're just taking it one day at a time and, um, yeah, trying to stay busy. Gotcha. Yeah, that's good. Um, that's the most important thing is making sure everybody's all, all good. So, um, but before we get started, uh, I want to do a little background about yourself. So first of all, how long have you been working for Brandt? So I've been working uh, with Brandt or a company that was acquired by Brandt for 14 years now. Mm-hmm. So since okay. 2006. Uh, and then the company I did work for was acquired by Brandt in uh, 2014. So okay. uh, with Brandt officially for about six years. Um, so where did you go to school and, and what exactly did you study? Well, Alex, I was a professional student. So. <laughs> uh, but I went <laughs> That's to- where the doctor title came from, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, it took a lot of years. But uh, I went to Penn State University and I graduated uh, with a PhD in 2004. And at Penn State, I studied both agronomy with a uh, emphasis in uh, turf grass science. So as part of my graduate work, I looked closely at uh, the heat stress physiology of cool season turf grasses um, and looked at responses to various treatments uh, associated with, uh, with that type of stress. So Brant, Brant's a pretty good fit, considering we do ag and turf, right? Yeah, absolutely. You got them both in yeah, that works well. Um, good question. So technical manager, so what, what exactly does that entail um, in your role so, here at Brant? Yeah, so you know, I folded in um, with the Discovery and Innovation Group, so I represent um, that uh, division of uh, Brant. And what I do day to day primarily is to work closely with my colleagues to uh, develop new technologies that can be used for uh, turf grass managers. Uh, That might be golf course superintendents or athletic field managers or even lawn care operators. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition, I work closely with other departments within Brandt, for example, uh, providing uh, technical sales support. Um, In addition, working with uh, the marketing group Uh, to develop um, useful content for Mm -hmm. our customers. Uh, I do quite a bit of internal and external training uh, with respect to um, agronomics or uh, product performance or product development. 
and then uh, finally work closely with the regulatory group to um, you know, write labels, uh, develop uh, use recommendations for our products. Yeah, that's a that's a well-rounded job. You're kind of touching every single department, and you know, here at the company, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's definitely a team effort, and uh, it's been great working with um, with each division to uh, you know achieve a common goal. So yeah. For sure. So I know you do a lot of trial work as well, and I want to dive into that later. But for, for right now, I want to dive into the the issue at hand that everybody's going through right now. And it's with the coronavirus uh, that we're all dealing with. It's in fact, uh, it's affected every single industry, you know, turf and golf courses are, are certainly no different. So can you give a general update or kind of status about golf courses and what they're doing right now, what all is allowed? And I know it, it kind of varies state to state and it's a moving target, but just kind of in general, what the industry is seeing right now. So right now, a majority of the golf courses in the United States are open. Uh, there was a handful of states, those that were hardest hit by uh, coronavirus that mm -hmm. closed the uh, golf course to play. But those states did fortunately allow uh, the golf course maintenance operations to continue, yeah. uh, which was a critical uh, part because uh, left alone or unmaintained, um, it doesn't take very long for a golf course to, to become, um, you know, really difficult to rehabilitate. Mm -hmm. And so um, there was a, a basically a minimum uh, maintenance protocol that many golf course superintendents uh, utilized. Uh, just to keep things moving uh, while they were waiting for the courses to open. Uh, right now we have probably, let's see, if you look at uh, some of the states that have been enclosed that are planning to reopen, we're talking about places in the Northeast like Pennsylvania, New Jersey, uh, Maryland and Delaware, and up in New England, Massachusetts, Vermont, and New Hampshire, uh, Illinois, New Mexico, mm -hmm. and Nevada, and also Washington State are sort of the, the states that have been closed to play that are going to be reopening. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I was really glad to see that, well, one, that they were able to maintain the courses um, regardless, and then that they're starting to open up because this time of year, everybody's been cooped up for the winter, like golfers are ready to golf. Uh, and then on top of that, even somebody like myself who doesn't golf, I'm like, well, I might take up golfing just to get out of the house. You know, it's, it's, it's an activity that can be done while you, uh, being able to maintain social distancing and all that stuff. So, um, but we'll state the obvious that courses need to do, you know, what they need to, to make sure that players and employees are all safe. But uh, it's probably a big concern right now that with budgets, just because clubhouses might not be open and that's a revenue stream that might not be available. So it's a pretty good guess that budgets are gonna be affected. Uh, by this. So is there anything strategy wise that courses can do right now to maintain their course um, while keeping the budget in mind? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so with budget cuts, uh, certainly one of the biggest uh, areas or ways that a golf course uh, can deal with that is they're going to have to lay off people. So, um, you know, crews are going to be, um, limited you're going to have more of a skeleton staff in fact uh, a couple days ago there was a tweet uh, that had a survey on there from the usga and it appears that uh, 65 percent of golf courses in the u.s are currently working with less than 50 percent of their of their full-time and part-time yeah. staff yeah. so with that obviously you're going to have um, uh, 
less labor, so you can probably do fewer things in general. But some of the things that can be done certainly is to reduce mowing. Um, you know, try to mow the greens more often, maybe two to three times per week, but fairways and tees, you have to cut that back to maybe once or twice per week. Uh, you know, you want to make sure that you've got um, the irrigation system up and running so that if, in fact, uh, you know, water is required on the golf course, that you can go ahead and do that. And then certainly you want to pay close attention to, you know, managing pests. So having, you know, crop protectants available um, and then certainly, you know, fertilizers to maintain vigor. Um, you know, you can do all these things. Uh, and there are strategies that you can use to kind of, um, you know, achieve a relatively decent uh, golf course from a standpoint of playability. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, expectations are going to have to change. You know, golfers are going to have to realize that, you know, it's not going to be, um, you know, perfect conditions, particularly yeah. out of the gate. Yeah. And I think everybody should and will be understanding that, you know, things are just different right now. You know, you don't go to uh, the reach or Lowe's or wherever and expect to shop in the same way that you did before. So it's it's the same thing here where it, everything's just kind of different. So keeping budget in mind, you know, we are a fertilizer company. So are there any products or programs that we have in our portfolio that can um, be useful to a budget conscious uh, golf course right now? Yeah. So, you know, right now uh, looking at it, you know, the courses that have been open or are going to be opening soon. Um, those that have you know, had had budget cuts are probably going to still have to work uh, mm -hmm. with a, with a lower budget. So certainly selecting a fertilizer source that is efficient, like a highly efficient source would be very mm -hmm. useful. Um, so one that maximizes plant use and limits loss to the environment. So with that said, a slow release nitrogen source might be one uh, option or a topical uh, and efficient uh, foliar fertilizer would be another. Uh, foliar fertilizers are also important, you know, in the Northern climates where we still have relatively, I mean, I look outside, it's April 30th and it's probably 50 degrees. Uh, it's been pretty cool in the Northern tier for much of the spring. So soil temperatures are still pretty cold. And so there'll be limited uh, uptake of nutrient in the soil through the roots. So um, right now, supplying, if you've got the manpower and the ability to go out and spray every 14 days on greens, which you're probably doing as a turf manager mm -hmm. with respect to crop protectants anyway, then putting in an efficient foliar fertilizer makes a lot of sense right now. Yeah. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, we have our summer success program um, that's worked really, really well on courses. And then we also have the bi-monthly program. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that bi-monthly program is basically the same thing, but maybe a lower rate um, applications and and that's that can maybe be a budget friendly idea, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we've got a couple of programs. Um, the one you're you're talking about is uh, what we're calling the Tech Pack program, which is really going to be important as we move forward into you know May, June, into the summertime. Uh, it's a preventative program that begins sometime in May. And yeah, those applications go out every seven days. It's a rotation of a new product called Turftopia, which is a foliar fertilizer and also contains um, anti-stress and uh, drought tolerance uh, technologies in it. Mm -hmm. 
And that's uh, rotated with uh, Brandt Eyehammer technology. So that's a glycoregulator technology that is, um, again, used to uh, reduce stress and improve root growth. So that type of program is really, really important going into what would be, you know, a stressful, environmentally stressful conditions uh, for cool season turf managers, um, you know, into the summer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, pandemic aside, the, the sun's still shining, the temperatures are still changing, the grass still needs what it needs. Uh, and so, you know, that's why these these programs were put together. So, but, but yeah. you're the man with the plan with these products and programs. So can you tell me a little bit about um, how you come up with them? And, uh, you know, somebody comes to you with, we want to get our greens ready, but we have, you know, drought issues. And then kind of what, what's the methodology of, of putting a plan together in a program that could, because I picture it being hard because there's so many different, uh, you know, temperatures and, gra and grass types and all that. So I'm interested to see how it all comes together. So for programs specific to water deficit, one, one of the things that we've thought of with the, the, the aforementioned program is the ability for, for a turf manager to uh, maintain um, acceptable playability and color and quality um, under a water deficit condition. So that, you know, might allow a turf manager to use less water. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that would be potentially a cost savings. In addition, um, limiting the amount of water. So generally speaking, more water is, is not as good as, as too little water. Right. More problems happen when there's too much water, which is why uh, golf course superintendents will, you know, promote a lot of drainage, mm -hmm. add more sand so that you have the right ratios of air, soil, water. Now, if you withhold water uh, for a certain amount of time, uh, the plant will actually acclimate to uh, a water deficit condition, um, generally will encourage rooting and allow the plant to essentially acclimate to a more droughty condition, thereby becoming more drought tolerant. So mm. if you're able to do that without compromising color and quality and maintaining playability, which is the goal of using um, our rotational program, you're really setting up a situation where you can, um, you know, create much stronger, more robust plants that are better able to withstand, you know, some of these environmental pressures that when you look at it are out of uh, a practitioner's control. It's the mm -hmm. weather's out of our control. So we have to prepare and that's why these programs are, are best used in a preventative way. Right. So you want to start them, you know, well before the stress, which is why I suggested sometime for, again, northern uh, tier golf course superintendents or even some in the transition zone sometime in the middle of May, middle to end of May. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a very proactive rather than reactive approach, which, right. which makes sense. So. But I know you put a lot of work into the trials for these products and programs. And, you know, on the agriculture side of the business, we've got this beautiful thing called yield that we can look at for mm -hmm. our kind of quantitative measurements. So for a turf trial, what all do you look at uh, to kind of measure and gauge if something's working or not working? Yeah, it's a good point, Alex. And we have a very robust uh, product research uh, program. We work very closely with. Uh, research cooperators at the university level uh, around the country and some of the best turf scientists um, out there. And 
you're right. You know, we, we don't have yield to measure. In fact, we would we probably want to <laughs> produce a situation where we don't have a lot of shoot growth because right. that can compromise the way the ball rolls, right? So we have to come up with some creative ways um, to evaluate performance. And what we do generally is, you know, we have some subjective ratings, but now we've got, you know, chlorophyll meters, we've got more sophisticated um, equipment that can measure turf quality and actually quantify that. Mm -hmm. So we have data, numerical data to support. And generally we look then to see if the subjective data will correlate with the objective or the the quantified data. And, uh, but that's, that's probably the best way. And what we also do again, is we like to monitor uh, plant performance during stress. And so obviously we'll have an untreated control to Mm -hmm. be able to compare that too. But the other thing we do is, you know, nitrogen is required in very high quantities uh, by grass. And so our programs generally have nitrogen in them. So to shake out and to determine if, you know, the added technology is actually doing a majority of the work, we set up what's called a nitrogen control, which is just nitrogen to see if there's any differences there. Because if there's no differences, then perhaps the, the uh, treatment effect is really a nitrogen effect. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that, that we do. Yeah. No, and I, I knew there was, there's more that goes into it than this uh, control looks worse than our trial. You know, it's, it's, there's so much extensive research and, and actual numbers and quantitative that, that yep. goes into it. So that, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I want to jump back to maybe some minimum maintenance stuff really quick. Uh, you recently wrote a blog article that we posted on our website uh, that talked about the use of PGRs and how they can play a role here, um, maybe for minimum maintenance. So what exactly do the PGRs do and, and how can Grant play a role uh, with the PGRs? Right. So, so plant growth regulators or, or PGRs uh, are used quite frequently on golf courses. Um, there's a, a lot of advantages from a plant physiology standpoint. Generally speaking, those plants are going to be uh, tillering more effectively. Uh, they're going to produce a little bit better root growth, um, but shoot growth will be suppressed. And there's different types, and so we don't need to get into the details of that, but uh, that will allow a turf manager to mow less frequently, all right? So that's less labor. So that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll reduce clipping yields. And it's important when you're applying a plant growth regulator to also include whether it's a, a, fertile, a foliar fertilizer or, or a crop protectant, but we don't want those fertilizers to antagonize the growth suppression in any way. And so what we've looked at is some of our foliar technologies. We've also looked at, which includes the Maniplex uh, technology and also the grid technology. But we've also looked at um, the Brandt Eyehammer technology and found that there's really nice synergy between that particular technology because it enhances root growth um, and it also will reduce stress. Is that the, so, uh, the Megalex product? That's correct. Yeah, that's okay. the Megalex product from Brand Eyehammer. That's, yeah. that's right. Yep. That's my favorite one because it's got my name in it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really great product. So, so and it so it ties together well with the PGR and and what's the Megalex role when it when it's with it. So the Megalex role is to you know, further enhance the um, and maintain the uh, growth suppression of the plant growth regulator while enhancing root growth and maintaining vigor during environmental stress. Gotcha, gotcha. So I wanna talk more about uh, nutrients because 
we are the fertilizer company. We got a lot of micros um, coming at you. So heading into the summer month, what are some of the essential micronutrients that uh, that the plant is looking for whenever temperature starts to change? Sure. So right now, from a standpoint of nutrient demand uh, in the cool season uh, climates, um, you know, nitrogen is going to be the biggest one. I would also recommend, you know, phosphorus applications right now as well. Um, I think primarily because, you know, you may be establishing turf or turf is uh, coming out of dormancy. Soil temperatures are still relatively cool. And so uh, phosphorus would be a really good addition right about now. Um, as we get into the summer months, um, you know, the nice thing about uh, some of these foliar uh, nutrient uh, pr nutrition products is that you've got a big micros package in there. And micros are, are critically important for maximizing photosynthesis. So, you know, right now, I mean, the sun angle is, you know, it's getting warmer and uh, the sun angle is getting uh, longer. However, it's still important to um, foliar feed uh, micronutrients to maximize photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. And um, what we found in our studies looking at foliar nutrition was that the biggest differences between um, and we'll use the GRIG technology, uh, for example, uh, between uh, those formulas and, you know, soluble uh, micronutrient formulations that were used as foliars was with respect to the minor nutrients. Mm -hmm. So we saw significant differences between those two types of formulations uh, with respect to uh, the uptake and the absorption of uh, minor nutrients. Gotcha. Yeah, nope. That so formulation all makes, makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and and we've got all the different technologies and, and the brands with iHammer and Grig and and the brand Manaflex and, and everything we've got and, and seeing you you compile it all together and, and make these plans and programs that combine it. Um, it's it's really interesting and neat to see it all come together. So yeah, that's right. I mean, we got we got a lot of options, a lot of great technologies. We've got you know these have been rigorously tested. Um, the, both the GRIG and the Brandt Maniplex programs, um, you know, I generally will run in a trial, for example, uh, you know, both, both programs. Um, mm -hmm. And generally speaking, they perform very well and, um, and year after year as well. So, yeah. you know, so we become confident that it's not just a one year thing. You know, we want to continue to, to look at these programs to make sure they're working consistently and, and they have been. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what I've noticed and seen is whether, you know, it doesn't matter what your goal is uh, or the problem you're met, you might be trying to solve or the budget that you're facing between the three brands. Uh, something can be, you know, we can come up with something to help whatever, whatever you're looking for. So that's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, side question. Do you play golf? Um, I do play golf. Yes. Yeah. I, I haven't in a while, but I do play golf. Is, is it uh is it hard for you to, to go out and golf and enjoy it? Or do you just sit there and like analyze the course in the, in the grass the whole time? Um, I, I do a little bit of both. Um, fortunately for me, you know, a analyzing the course isn't too distracting. So I can yeah. still you know, get out there and, and play pretty well. But uh, uh, yeah, it's. Um, I, I picture it being like a, like a professional chef who goes to another restaurant. You know, it's like it's hard for them to maybe enjoy the meal because they, they're critiquing it whether they want to or not. Yeah, well, that's true. In fact, please don't come look at my lawn because I, I don't. <laughs>
you've got to have the best looking yard in the neighborhood. If I do, it's if I do, it's by accident. Oh man! <laughs> All right. Well, do you have anything else to add? Um, you know, with the situations that golf courses might be under, the time of year that it is. I mean, you got anything else to, to throw at people? You know, you know, I do. I was on the phone today with a friend of mine who's a golf course superintendent out in Florida, and I thought, well, you know, as these courses open, uh, perhaps uh, their their budgets will go up, and they can. Mm-hmm sort of not be so reliant on the minimum uh, maintenance practices. But I think for many golf courses, until um, the revenue really begins to, to increase, and that could be from both green fees or just, you know, um, the restaurant and the mm-hmm. bar and, and things like that, uh, golf course superintendents are going to continue to work with a, a pretty limited budget. Yeah. So a lot of these things that we've talked about with respect to minimum maintenance practices are probably going to continue for the next, you know, at least, you know, three, four or five months or even this entire year. Yeah. Um, in addition, you know, there are some things that because of the, with the opening of the golf course, there's going to be some, you know, some rules associated with that as well. You know, for example, uh, no shared carts. So golfers, if they're allowed to use a golf cart, many places will have to just walk. But mm-hmm. if they're allowed to use a golf cart, they've got to be in their own golf cart. Well, that's going to increase golf, golf cart traffic. And that's going to increase, potentially increase areas on the golf yeah. course that um, have a lot of traffic stress. That's, that's got to be one of Super's like biggest nightmares or pet peeves is seeing carts where they're not supposed to be. And then you multiply that times four with a party of four, like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's poor guys. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think a lot of courses now are going to allow carts to scatter, which uh, dilutes the traffic basically. So mm-hmm. not, they're not, not all the carts are going to be in, in one or a few spots on a given hole, for yeah. example. Um, the other thing too is, you know, and I know superintendents have been pretty creative with this is, you know, golfers are not going to be allowed to touch the flag sticks i saw this yeah that was uh you're talking about i saw somebody they cut like a a pool foam noodle and put that in the cup hole instead that's one thing that i saw and i was like what that's pretty smart yeah it's cool exactly guys are being creative exactly uh, to help keep everybody safe right and then you know bunker maintenance is another one you know it's not agronomic the 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 bunkers uh, well, there'll be no rakes on golf courses for a while. And so, you know, golfers won't be raking where they've been. So they'll just be kicking the sand around. So that's going to require more maintenance, uh, grooming of those bunkers by the golf course maintenance facility, because uh, a groomed bunker generally will have fewer weeds. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's important that they'll, that they do that. So again, things that, uh, golf course superintendents are going to have to keep in mind. Um, and of course, you know, I think most importantly is, you know, how do you keep, you know, your, your good labor there and and how do you, um, work through keeping everybody safe? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's the big thing. I mean, it's for someone in charge there, you know, they, they have a lot of people they've got are responsible for keeping safe and that's a, that's a big burden. So, yeah. Yeah. You think about all these, the challenges supers are faced with not only agronomically and budgets and their employees and schedules and now they got to, you know, keep safety as they're always as a top priority, but now even more uh, with a different factor. It's just, man, all these supers are are just, they've got a lot going on right now. Yeah. 
So, you know, we're headed, we're headed in the right direction. Mm -hmm. It's baby steps and there's going to be some pain, but you know, with a proactive approach and in really good, careful planning, um, I think that, and I think one other key thing here too is, is communication. Um, you know, you're never going to satisfy all these golfers, believe me. Yeah. Um, and, and many times the expectations are very unrealistic. So I, what I've found is the best way to deal with that is to, you know, just keep the communication up. I mean, if you've, if you've been communicating uh, well in the past, continue that. If you haven't, now it's even more important to do that. Yeah. So that people understand, you know, they're everyone's doing the best they can. But conditions are not going to be uh, what they would normally be. Mm -hmm. um, so people are just going to have to get used to that for a while. Yeah. No, that's that's really important. You know, everybody's got no matter what industry you're, you're in, you got to convey uh, what changes and adaptations you're making um, to make mm -hmm. things work. So before we go, I just I just want to say that in situations like this, or or when someone may be looking for answers. I think it's always important just to get back to basics, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so focusing on those key cultural practices that form the foundation for, you know, plant and turf grass health on a golf course or on an athletic field, which is are things like uh, mowing, fertilization, irrigation, uh, pest control, mm -hmm. um, staying on top of these things, um, with a limited budget, maybe a challenge, but it's critically important because if, if the grass were to, and, and anything can happen, right. But, um, if things were to go the wrong direction, um, it's going to cost that much more money and take that much more time yeah. to get it back to where it was, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, just get back to basics. I think that's, I think that's a good message right now. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, this is all been all great stuff, very relative, timely to, to what's going on, you know, so many challenges. And so glad to have you on to kind of pitch some some thoughts and ideas on, on what can what can help. So yeah, it's great. Um, great to be here. I look forward to doing it again with you, Alex. Yeah, for sure. You know, we're gonna hope that that things move forward in the right direction and courses are gonna be able to open back up and things are gonna go back to normal. But uh, Gordon's on Twitter, everybody. So if you want to catch him on there, he's pretty active. He's posting blogs and some great information. Um, I'm sure he's happy to take questions if you got them. So his handle is at Gordon Kaufman. Make sure you give him a follow. Uh, and we'll be sure to have you back on soon, man. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Awesome. Stay safe. Have a great day. Another episode in the books. Thank you so much for listening. Shout out to Dr. Gordon Kaufman, one of the smartest guys around. So I know you learned something. But if you got questions or comments for him, reach out to him on Twitter. His handle is at Gordon Kaufman. More episodes are coming soon. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. Thanks again, everybody. Please stay safe, and we'll see you next time.